Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2023, we're running our annual Radiothon, where we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy the podcast. Annie McLaughlin here for Stick Together, a half hour of worker stories, union news and social justice issues. We come to you from 3CR on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation with respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. We are coming to you on your community radio station, on the Community Radio Network, with the financial support of the Community Radio Federation. The common thread in all the news this week is that collective effort, solidarity, is the only way forward for a better future. From sham contracting, low casual pay and high rates of casualisation, shutting down of local services, the appropriation of green spaces, draconian anti-protest laws and the imprisonment and murder of unionists in countries in our region. You're listening to Stick Together, worker stories and union news, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Two reports from the ACTU, the Australian Council of Trade Unions this week, point to systemic wages and conditions theft by some employers. The issue of sham contracting, the ACTU reports, has reached a level that needs sharp action from policy makers. The number of workers on sham or dependent contracting is at record highs and now outnumbers genuinely independent contractors for the first time. A sham contracting arrangement is when an employer attempts to disguise an employment relationship as a contractor relationship. They may do this to avoid certain taxes and their responsibility for employees' entitlements like minimum wages, super and leave entitlements. More than 565,000 contractors are involved in dependent contracts, with only 550,000 contractors actually subcontracting to independent contractors. The ACTU maintains this surge in sham arrangements has been aided by the rapid growth in gig and platform work throughout the pandemic and two High Court decisions in 2022 that overturned the definition of employee, making it easier for big business to mislabel employees as contractors, a loophole enabling them to cut pay and conditions. The ACTU research also shows that new sole traders in inverted commas, ABNs, have rapidly outpaced employment growth since 2019 and have boomed since the pandemic. Workers on sham or dependent contracting arrangements earn $242.80 less per week than genuine independent contractors measured on a medium basis. 
Over a year, this is a pay gap of $12,644. The second recent report from the ACTU that will stop you in your tracks is one that shows that casual workers earn $11.59 less per hour than permanent employees. Gone is the rhetoric that casual employees' lack of job security and conditions is alleviated by a higher per hour rate of pay. Across the board, casual employees earn $11.59 less per hour than their permanent counterparts. That's $28.95 per hour versus $40.54. This is a pay gap of 28.6%. It has been growing steadily since 2016 and is now the highest on record. When comparing workers at the same skill level or within the same occupation, the pay gap between casuals and permanents is between $3.55 to $3.84 an hour or about 11%. This is despite casuals being owed an additional loading of up to 25%. New ACTU research also shows that 50% of casual workers now report being financially worse off than they were 12 months ago, up from 36% recorded a year earlier. Up to 2.6 million workers in Australia, or just under one in four, are on casual work arrangements – Women comprise 55% of all casual employees and the sectors with the highest rates of casualisation include retail, accommodation, food services, healthcare and social assistance, accounting for 55% of all casual employees. The ACTU is calling for Morrison-era changes to the law to be scrapped and a common-sense definition of casual work to be introduced as part of the government's industrial relations reforms. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. In Geelong, the second largest city in Victoria, residents and unionists have come out fighting after the new government budget called for the closing of libraries and cutting of local services. Greenleft 3CR Friday Breakfast spoke with Adele Welsh, convener of Geelong Women's Unionist Network, about the issues and the fight back. So COG, the City of Greater Geelong, have recently released their draft budget and so have Geelong Regional Library Corporation. So the Library Corporation is the outsourced body who runs our local libraries and it's made up of five member councils from the wider Greater Geelong area. So COG, City of Greater Geelong and the four other councils essentially fund the Library Corporation to run all the libraries in our area. So the Library Corporation is saying that the COG draft budget doesn't include funding for the operating costs of two new libraries at Drysdale and Armstrong Creek. And that's left the corporation with a budget shortfall of over a million dollars, so about $1.1 million. So their response has been moved to close um, some libraries entirely um, and to cut the opening times of lots of other libraries. So Barwon Heads, Geelong West and Highton are slated to close entirely 
and then Chilwell Library is going to become an unstaffed model. Um, two two libraries, Cryo and the new library at Drysdale, are going to close on Sundays. And then there's about half a dozen other libraries that are going to close earlier on Saturdays. Um, and there's going to be reduced services at the um, main Geelong Library and Heritage Centre. So the new library in Drysdale, um, Borongook, cost the community over $9 million. And of that $9 million, COG contributed about $8 million of the money. So it's really unconscionable of COG to spend all that ratepayer and taxpayer money to build a new facility and then to turn around and not fund its running and operational costs. Unlike the City of Greater Geelong, the Library Corporation are saying that they're not going to make any permanent staff redundant in this upcoming financial year, but they haven't made any commitments that I'm aware of on what's going to happen to casual staff. And they are saying that they're going to have to look at how or even if they fill vacancies over the next financial year. Um, so there's a really big blame game going here on here in Geelong. Um, and our libraries, um, I guess, are the meat in the sandwich. So libraries are about far more than books. Libraries are a vital community hub and they're one of the last, if not the only, remaining places where people can go with no expectation that they'll spend any money they have meeting rooms, um, free internet, online resources. They run courses and they help people with technical issues. They've got free newspapers and magazines. They're a safe, warm and free place. My understanding is that the Geelong Council is doing a real slash and burn, not just to the libraries, but to other basic services as well. They really are. COG are saying that they've got significant budget issues. We all are feeling the bite of inflation and cost of living pressures. But sadly, though, there's been lots of media here in Geelong showing that high, highly paid executives at council have jumped by over 40% recently. And two or three years ago, in 2020, 37 council executives earned more than 150000 a year. So those 37 workers would have got around $5.5 million a year just for those 37 workers. A highly paid exec, so I probably wouldn't call them workers. Currently under investigation on its recruitment processes for a new CEO and the state government's actually installed monitors into the city to oversee that process. So while the rest of us are struggling to keep our heads above water, COG doesn't really seem to be acting in a financially responsible way. And their response to their budget issues has been to either underfund or defund vital community resources and services. They're planning to cut leisure and recreation <coughs> services they're going to close some public swimming pools over winter and 
they've recently restructured their community life directorate and they've cut 18 to 19 positions and those positions give support and advice to some of the most vulnerable people in our community. There's a really big fight back campaign um, the Geelong people are really community-minded and we're very strong unionists as well. And we're a community who really value our libraries and our council services. So my union, the ASU, who look after library and council workers, is running a really strong campaign. We had a big community protest outside the last council meeting when the draft budget was released and was passed by our councillors. We had a really well-attended community meeting at Geelong Trades Hall last night to plan and advise the community on how they can respond to the budget. And last night, the community really shared their outrage and anger um, at council and they spoke at length about their love for, li for libraries and their commitment to keeping libraries open. And lots of local grassroots community groups have sprung up kind of almost overnight. So there's Save Geelong West Library, there's Friends of Barwon Howells, Barwon Heads Library, Save Hyden Library. So they're all running campaigns and protests and they're getting really active in the Geelong Advertiser. That a young mum started a campaign to keep Cadinia Pool open all year. And for those of you who don't know, Cadinia Pool's kind of like a Geelong icon. It's, you know, for our, it's one of our local treasures and it's another service that the public really loves and really values. So the fight back campaign here is pretty big. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Still in Victoria and concerning local issues that are a window into what is happening all over Australia... In the western suburbs of Melbourne, which have always been working-class heavy industry, with the increases in housing prices, more aspirational residents have joined the suburbs' old cohort. So when the Maribyrnong Council decided to build a basketball stadium on the oldest piece of unstructured green space in Yarraville, MacIver Reserve, residents took up the fight. Now, into the 18th month, the CFMEU and now the other construction unions, the ETU, the Plumbers and the AMWU, have placed a green ban on further plans. Spokesperson for Friends of MacIver Reserve, Miles Parnell-Gilbert. You know, with regards to the green ban, um, I think uh, it struck a nerve with me when I read about the, the first instance of a green ban with the union. Um, I think the story starts in uh, 1892, um, when um, Thomas Kelly set up a smelter on a two-acre space of land uh, and gave the remainder to the community for public use. Um, and then when his works closed in 1966, um, the land was sold to uh, A.B. Jennings uh, for the development of uh, luxury housing. Um, but that threat prompted a local resident called Betty James to write a letter to the Sydney Morning Herald in 1970 um, which went nowhere. Um, and in 1971, following protests, um, the Minister of Local Government went ahead and rezoned the land from reserved open space to residential. Um, the, the local council, Hunters Hill Council, referred to them as the 13 bloody housewives, um, which is the kind of typical vilification you see of uh, community organisations that are disrupting um, the, the progress of councils. Um, and so having no luck with uh, 
you know, local or state government, um, this little group of 13 women went to the union um, to request their support in saving the bushland um, at Kelly's Bush. And that ban was successful uh, and it protected today, it protects the, uh, you know, that, the, a treasured public area um, and uh, which contains, you know, original ab- Aboriginal sandstone carvings and things of value that should be preserved. So um, I think that kind of parallels our fight to a certain degree over the last year. And uh, hopefully the outcome uh, with the union support will be as successful for us. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Unions and members of civil society have slammed the South Australian anti-demonstration laws. Counteract reported that Extinction Rebellion and other climate activists made their presence felt in Adelaide in mid-May with a series of protests targeting Australian Petroleum Production and Exploration Association and their fossil foolish companions such as Santos and the Labor government has responded with extraordinary overreach in response to the mere hint of a little disruption. Counteract reports that not only is the legislation incredibly broad and could catch workers' rights protests, a woman's march, a snap candlelight vigil for refugee rights, but could also be applied to vulnerable people such as rough sleepers. One aspect that hasn't been much discussed is also that the police can apply for costs orders against protesters and unless they can disprove this in court, which is unlikely, they could be up for thousands more in addition to the maximum penalty of 50000 or three months jail. In Western Australia, most recently, the police applied for $33,000 in costs. Counteract says, We have been excited to see huge response from unions, social, environmental and climate justice organisations and hope that Labor will come to their senses and listen to the community. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. On the 25th of May, a Cambodian court jailed a leading trade unionist, Shi Siha, of the LRSU to two years jail and her fellow unionist to one to one and a half years in jail for incitement to commit a felony or disturb social security under criminal code articles 494 and 495 in what the Australian union movement calls a blatant violation of Cambodia's obligations under international human rights law. Here is Chi Sita herself talking about the struggle they have been committed to. So my name is Chum Sito. I'm from Cambodia. I'm the union president of LOSU. We organize hotel and casino workers. It starts with the COVID-19 uh, crisis as an excuse to lay off the worker, which uh, the employer of Naga World, where I work for. So the employer chose 1,329 workers to be laid off, and among them, 1,100 are union members and leaders. At first, we, we found out that the company haven't affected much from COVID-19 because uh, they still make like $100 million net profit in 2020 where the, the pandemic already hit the world. But they used that excuse because of less income, less profit uh, to lay off the worker. And uh, we also found that the separate package that the, the company paid to the worker uh, are not complied by labor law. So we are fighting for 
green statement of union leader and member who refused the redundancy and the correct separate packet uh, complied by law to those who agree for the redundancy. Yeah, so after we exhaust all the labor dispute mechanism in Cambodia, which took us eight months, and during this eight months, the, the layoff work has uh, been very difficult, uh, financial hardship, but we're trying to make it uh, to, to file complaint and using all the labor dispute mechanisms, and it took us eight months. Then finally, we still cannot find solution. Then we have to go on strike in December 18, 2021. And until now, we haven't get any uh, settlement or solution from the company yet. So it's already element of strike. But however, even though we exhaust the, the labor dispute mechanisms, we are still facing legal consequence. It's very tricky by the Cambodian government. They are not accusing us uh, using the term of illegal strike, but uh, another uh, criminal charge that been very popular using amongst uh, uh, to crack down the activists and union leaders and even the politician in Cambodia is um, causing uh, this uh, public disorder in Simon that put us that can put us on in jail. So I myself, together with other 10 colleagues, were charged with incitement and caused public disorder, and we were put in jail for nine weeks. And later on, three of our members being uh, uh, accused using the COVID law that they are breaking the, the uh, health and safety guidelines. So uh, they were put in jail for, for five weeks too. At first, we see a very uh, proud impressment uh, from from our member because it looks like since the trade union law adopted the the union movement very quiet and then we almost cannot get any benefit from the employer even though they have made a lot of profit but then when we when we decide after we organize we fight for the benefit for our benefit then we get a lot of uh, uh, change. I mean, we get a big change in in the company in for for their for their benefit. So people are so motivated and proud and and impressed by their own actions that they like after the strike, everybody going back to work and discussing about the, the actions in the strike, and then they kind of feeling very comfortable to fight uh, for their benefit, even though the, we have a very powerful and and a lot of money employer, but we still can win. With, with the solidarity, with, with the, with the um, organizing, so um, people are so excited. But, but later on, uh, in our fight currently that we are going on 11 months of strike, the people a little bit of uh, losing courage because a lot of too much interference from the government to protect this employer. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. The final report for today is from a presentation given by Filipino unionist Joshua Mata, the General Secretary of Centro, about what happens when governments, corporations and business interests are allowed to step all over workers' rights. Now let's talk about trade union repression. Mr. Duterte, during his term, launched a war against political dissent with the bloody war on drugs as the background. Now, during that time, he formed the NTFL CAP, 
or the National Task Force to End Local Communist Armed Conflict in the Philippines. No? And, and its aim is to wage an all-of-nation approach to eradicate the communist insurgency, which easily spilled over to the labor front as unions, irrespective of their ideological persuasions, were treated as enemies. Now, employers made use of the climate of impunity created by the war on drugs as an opportunity to rid themselves of pesky unions in their own companies. So there is really a reason why the Philippines has been tagged as one of the top 10 worst countries in the world by the ITUC Human Rights Index for the past seven years. Trade union killings, red tagging, abductions, harassment, and other forms of violations of uh, freedom of association are being perpetrated on the workers in the Philippines in a very systemic manner. From 2016 to 2023, we in the labor movement have documented 69 killings of trade union leaders and organizers. 69. Three key cases of abductions and enforced disappearances involving five individuals. 41 cases of arrest and detention on trump-up charges. 111 cases of workers arrested during strikes and protest actions. 90 cases of forced disaffiliation. 58 cases of red tagging or terrorist tagging. 127 cases of threats, intimidations, and harassment. And finally, 19 cases of other anti-union activities. Now, it is very easy to be desensitized by all these numbers. In a context where the war on drugs have massacred anywhere from more than 6,000 people that the police admits, or 30,000 people that human rights NGOs in the country have asserted, it is so easy to forget that behind these numbers are actual people. So let me tell you some stories. Lando Abangan, a young Centro and Partido na Manggagawa organizer from Cebu, was one of the first to be gunned down in 2016 when the madman Duterte came to power. He was very vocal in opposing the war on drugs being waged in his community. One morning, he was gunned down just a few meters away from his home by a masked man. We heard rumors that it was his very own neighbor, a close friend, and a police asset who was forced by the police uh, to act as the gunman. That gunman himself was found dead weeks later in a creek. Fay and Marlon Ornido were very active and deeply committed community leaders in Quezon City. They were both assassinated inside their home in 2021. The reason? The husband and wife team were leading a very successful campaign against land grabbing by a corporation. I also personally knew uh, Leonardo Escala or Kaeska, who I worked with when I helped develop his union's education program. He was the president of the union in the International Container Terminal Services Incorporated in Manila, and he was shot dead on February 7, 2021 in Manila. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with our show, the program is podcast 
at 3cr.org.au or at your favourite podcast site. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by ringing 03 and leaving us a message. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, stick together. On mornings like this I almost forget I just went five minutes with a hit answer in my head And then like a solid punch in the guts I remember I remember I remember And think how could I forget Oh, I remember when he was only five Laying the table with the good forks and knives And it's different when you know them It's different when you know them It's different when you know them driveway hasn't started for six months it's got a plastic sheet for a window from the night he punched it and now it takes three buses to get to the facility but I still make the trip three times a week and I remember I remember I remember the phone call When I finally knew Felt like a screen door hanging open The wind just blew right through me When I get home I open up his room The afternoon sun shines on Skeletor and Dr. Doom And I know what it's like to hold Your own flesh and blood How could he do that to the little body that he loved And it's different Did you enjoy listening to that podcast? 3CR is a community radio station, and you, the listener, are a part of that community. Right now, it's our Radiothon. We need you to pitch in with a few dollars to keep the station going. We can't do it without you. It's easy. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Your donations really matter.